Dr. Barron, your report describes how rational these people are millennia ago. They abandoned their belief in the supernatural. Now you are asking me to sabotage that achievement, to send them back into the dark ages of superstition and ignorance and fear? No! We will find some way to undo the damage we've caused. Welcome to Bear Pile, your pileup of everything geeky and berry. As always, I'm your mama bear, the Yeti. With me, as ever he is, is the lovely, the talented Jonathan Moore. Say hi, Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. Every week with you. Every <coughs> damn week. And we have a couple guests joining us tonight. We have Tyler. Say hi, Tyler. Hiya. We have Ross. Say hi, Ross. Oh, hi there. And we have Bear Pile Virgin. Uh, I think we will... We'll take this one very gently. Oh, he likes it rough, I've heard. Oh, <laughs> is that how it is? Okay. Okay. This is William. Say hi, William. Howdy there. So today we are talking about Star Trek, but not just Star Trek, the progression of society in Star Trek. So how Star Trek sort of represents progression of society, both good and bad. Thank you, John. Thank, Thank you, John. John. Thank oh. Thanks, I now need to get new glasses. Yep. <laughs> and, and after that display, I actually have to say this, and I, I've never been more terrified in my life. Since Jonathan knows more about Star Trek than me, he will be leading the discussion this week. Dun, dun, dun. I know, right? Is it, Hide your children. It's a first in Bear Pile history, and it probably, let's be honest, it probably won't happen again, unless we're talking oh. about, like what nerd culture was like in the Neo-Paleolithic era. You know what? I'm eight years older than you, Yeti. Eight years older. Yeah. And boy, do those eight years make a difference. <laughs> yeah, it, sh- it shows that uh, I am beautiful and talented. Anywho. So, yeah. I mean, the main, the main thing is, you know, Star Trek shows the future, at least in the Federation, that's kind of a utopian vision but i think you know the big um uh klingon in the room where if as it were is the fact that they barely if ever show any any gay people at all on star trek i mean yeah there was that kiss with dax but was that really a gay kiss not really i mean if i'm not mistaken dax itself is the the thing living in Jedzia, right? Right, yeah, but the, but their their personalities kind of merge when they're joined. Yeah. So, so but, but and that's she, not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, what it what it was is they, if anyone remembers, I think it was called the episode was called Rejoined, 
of Deep Space Nine, and uh, Jadzia, in her, one of her former hosts, at the, who at the time was male, had been married to one of this uh, female Trill's former host, who was female. So their relationship started out heterosexual. Yes. Hmm. I don't remember if that was Curzon or not. It might no, not. it was it was Tobin. It was the test pilot because they he's the one that died in a in a in a crash and the, and that was part of the uh, part of the 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 plot. You know, we never That's really right. got to say goodbye kind of thing. I admit I'm kind of rusty on Deep Space Nine. I haven't really seen a whole lot of it. But yeah, here. It's what? I the the thing is with like the trill from my from my understanding is you know they're very. Uh, they want to be gender neutral. It's kind of like I—I I don't know how really they addressed it too much. In they kind of didn't really, and because that that I was kind of going to mention an example. We were talking earlier. Um, remember in um, the Next Generation, uh, I believe uh, Doctor Crusher had a sort of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was another trill. That was when trills were introduced. I mean, yeah, when with a male trill, and then yeah. stuff happened, and uh, he had to transfer to a female body. And yes. I thought that what she had, what Crusher had talked about, like after that, she she couldn't be comfortable with that uh, sort yeah. of relationship. But, and but did yeah. she like it was like beyond. She felt that it was beyond her capability of understanding something like that. Yeah, and they never. She never said it was because the the trill was now a female. But then she never. She you know that would that would be like say you know expecting you know you or I you know if if it had been a male to be okay with a, with a female you know unless you're bisexual you know if you're if you're a hard what one or seven on the Kinsey scale you know it's. You know, it might have just been her sexual preference. And the thing with the Trill is, whenever they move on to a new host, mm-hmm. the Trill actually retains all of the memories it's been accruing host to mm-hmm. host. So, and it's, mm-hmm. yes. And it's not, and the Trills aren't supposed to reassociate with people that they had like um, deep, intimate relationships. Or at least they're not supposed to, to reassociate it seems to be more like they're not supposed to reassociate with trill who they had a, a close relationship because because obviously uh dax was friends with cisco over three hosts and also sh- had a relationship with with uh with uh, uh wharf over two hosts so yeah. so you know she wasn't supposed to, dax was not supposed to reassociate with um, the the other trill, um, so that was kind of part of it. Was ta- they were trying to? I think they were trying to do a gay story without saying it was gay, by you know making it a taboo and things like that. So, but I think right then and there, because they're trying to make it one thing while also trying to pretend it's not something, kind of leads to a little bit of a we don't want to talk about this. This isn't something we should talk about. Like Bioware and elves. Yes. Right. But 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 the way Star Trek works is is they always, you know, when they're addressing you know some sort of a societal issue, they always do it in the context of science fiction. You know, when they wanted to talk about the Cold War, they used Klingons. They didn't talk about Russians. Mm-hmm. So. Well, my thing here is that um, science fiction has often been used as a way to talk about things that we are uncomfortable with talking right. about plainly. 
um, war being mainly among them. Famously, Arthur Miller used the Crucible mm -hmm. to talk about McCarthyism in America and the blacklisting right. of communist actors. Sure. Um, but on a show like Star Trek, especially in the later generations, mm -hmm. where um, it actively tackled things like religion, mm -hmm. where it, the show was very... It was a very agnostic show at best, um, mm -hmm. especially uh, The Next Generation. Yeah. The Next Generation actually had an episode that really touched me where um, the Enterprise crew gets spotted by a primitive group on right. the planet. I remember that, yeah. And, the Proto-Vulcans, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, Picard goes out of his way, going so far as getting shot, to demonstrate to them that they aren't gods and mm -hmm. to basically keep religion from developing on this planet. Yeah, well, religion, religion around them. The mm -hmm. the, the main problem was was uh, you know that they contaminated the culture. Mm -hmm. The religion, you know, they well, but, and I like, think several times during the episode he says things like, "I refuse to let these people backslide into superstition." Right, right and, because they had all, they had they had left it. They had yeah. reached a level where they were no longer. But that's what I'm saying is that this this yeah. culture. Um, the show made a very hard statement about religion just in, in that mm -hmm. one episode. Sure. Like, so they had the balls to go after something like religion, mm -hmm. but, you know, sort of sort of like didn't have the balls to go after something like gay relationships. Well, and a lot of it was, was, the, stu was the studio executives, too, because apparently in, in the episode Captain's Holiday, where Captain Picard goes to Risa and gets caught up with oh, Vash yep. and... All that they were originally in the just in the background of, of one of the scenes in the at the resort they were just going to have, you know, two two men holding hands just you know casually you know not say anything about it just there, and the studio made them change it to a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, studio so, mandates will do that to a show every time. Yeah. So do you think that maybe that's why they didn't address it is just because of the yeah. whole studio issues oh definitely definitely yeah. yeah i mean that happens with so many shows nowadays doesn't matter if it's doesn't matter if it's star trek right. or any other show and we're I, talking about times before gay people in media was normalized um right and yeah, there, yeah and there was um an episode that was of the next generation that was never made called blood and fire uh, that was written by written by David Gerald, who was the guy who wrote Trouble with Tribbles. It was for the Next Generation. Um, he he actually was commissioned, but it was never filmed. And uh, apparently, uh, some of the production staff, uh, and according to Wikipedia, apparently also Rick Berman, who was uh, had a negative reaction to the positive depiction of an openly gay couple in it. Um, Apparently, it was supposed to depict the Enterprise D coming upon a derelict spaceship whose crew had been killed off by Regulan bloodworms. Uh, it says here, since these creatures are highly dangerous and kill within hours, any ship or space station found to be infested with bloodworms must be sterilized and or destroyed. Per Starfleet orders, the concept of Regulan bloodworms mentioned in the dialogue in the original series, but never actually explained was intended to be a metaphor for the public's fears of AIDS. Uh, Gerald has uh, since said he intended the episode to be specifically address the public's fear of donating blood. That's really interesting, but there would have been two openly gay crew members in the episode. So it's kind of interesting. So Rick Berman, who was the executive producer at the time, was uncomfortable with it even. 
and that was and that was after the time that Gene Roddenberry had it probably had either died or was out of the out of the loop. Yeah, I mean, once you get to a certain point in especially the media history, um, mm. it becomes so concerned with not the progression of public edu- uh, opinion, but the appeasing mm. of public opinion. Right. That um, we get. We get, we get interference like that where mm-hmm. uh, studio executives are so terrified about people reacting negatively to HIV-positive characters or gay characters or what have you that they just they just step in and they just say no, um, which is a shame because, right. especially with Star Trek, media can be used to educate people and make them examine things again. That, that is true. However, a show no matter what, even in this day and age, we'll still get flack for having uh, a gay couple. Oh, yeah, yeah. you're definitely going to get... I mean, there will always be an element that is absolutely mm-hmm. against learning, growing, and experiencing. I mean, Yeah. Like, yeah. hell, what happened with... Uh, uh, what is that, Walking Dead? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yep. that, that's the thing. There are two sides to life. There's creation and... Uh, there's three. There's creation, stasis, and destruction. There, you will always have the people who are part of destruction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find this very interesting because now that you mention it, because do you think that if Star Trek was made today, like if they had another series come out or something like that mm-hmm. today, do you think that they would be more inclined to include these sort of char- openly gay characters? Oh yeah. Well, they have have compared back in the nineties. Yeah, they Absolutely. have. Yeah. The problem is that they would. But they would be making them the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way that gays are portrayed, especially on mainstream television nowadays, is the way that they should have been betrayed or portrayed twenty years ago. And uh-huh. because and they nobody yeah. had the balls to do it twenty years ago, they weren't. Because yeah. now you're gonna get instead of the I go to the grocery store, I go to the gym, I have fun with my kids, I go with my friends, oh and also I'm gay. You get the, yeah. I'm gay, I'm gay, I go shopping, I'm gay, I'm gay, I go yeah. do stuff with my friends, I'm gay. How you get, you? Yeah, in short, you get like characters whose every problem, whether small or large, revolves around mm-hmm. the fact that they are gay, and that is yeah. the sum total no. of their character. I, I, Apparently, I, oh, go ahead. Uh, what, I kind of want to, um, I want to counter that, though, because I don't know how how familiar you guys are with the legend of Korra. Uh, legend of Korra is about, you know, it, she's a, a, basically a teenager. Like she's like, I don't remember. She's 18, 17, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And at the, during the whole series, it was kind of hinted at that she was bisexual, but they never openly said anything until the very last, like very last part of the last mm-hmm. episode. Spoilers. She was holding hand. Sorry, it's, it is spoilers. I'm oh so Jesus sorry. Christ! At this point, it's, it's not been, spoilers. It's been, yeah, it's been more than three, like more than almost a year now. Tumblr is a thing. She was seen holding hands with a uh, one of her best friends, who was Sony. Yeah. Yes. And um, they never, like, they never said anything. But they just showed it, and they're like, okay. After the fact that when it was aired, they had openly said, yes, she is dating a Sony, and that she is you know, in having a relationship with her, but then they never went really further than that. They never really, you know, they just kind of, like, was was very casual about it. The the reason why they were so casual about it, they wanted to make it a lot more Mm -hmm. 
you know, demonstrative. They wanted to actually give Korra mm-hmm. and Asami a romance. But uh, Nickelodeon, the executives at Nickelodeon were very, very nervous nervous about it. And okay. until they saw the positive response that just the handhold of Korasami got, once they saw that, they were absolutely on board with it. But until they saw that, they were absolutely terrified by even having them hold hands. Yeah. So back to Star Trek. Um, I'd yeah. like to I'd like to speak a bit about the next generation. It's what I know best. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's an episode in season five. Which season one? five, uh, the Outcast. Yes. Yes. The the Riker. the the, the, the Riker love thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Riker oh, yeah. ends up having to um help investigate a mystery a, a missing the mysterious disappearance of a shuttlecraft belonging to this race called the Janai, and yes. they're genderless. Um, the Janai that um, he ends up working with, and she ends up asking a lot of questions of Beverly Crusher and stuff while she's aboard the Enterprise. Soren. Uh, yes, um, uh, Soren. Um, oh, yeah. She's trying to understand how how are humans and Klingons and things because they seem they have genders and the Janai are genderless. Um, that's not exactly the case. Um, because uh, Riker and Soren, they end up kissing, and uh-huh. um, the kiss is seen by another one of the Janai, and um, mm-hmm. named Krite. And um, she has, uh, they have Soren arrested. Um, now, Soren and Riker have feelings for each other. Um, and the thing is, in their in their species, their society, they're genderless. Except, um, it, it sort of like takes the, the the issue of transgendered persons and inverts it because right. Soren, it actually is gendered. She she is feels female. female. She yeah. feels female. Yes. Yeah. And so it's not her, really a gay story because she feels female, but it is yeah, a transgender story. Yeah. In, yeah, but in the greater, you know umbrella of things but you know um she ends up being arrested and brought before a tribunal and they sentenced her to medical treatment for her sickness of having a gender she gives this heartfelt plea she gives tribunal you know about showing leniency and uh you know uh uh, standing in acceptance to uh the genai who are gendered and then she gets taken to some sort of uh you know facility for this psychotactic treatment. Um, Riker right. freaks out. Picard goes to try to parlay with the uh, the uh, leader of the Janai for Soren's release. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it happens, but the treatment has already been performed on her, and she has no more interest in Riker. Right. Um, or so she says, yeah. There was also, um, apparently, Lut- uh, Lieutenant Hawk from first contact was supposed to be gay, but then they um, backed off of it and just made him kind of a generic character. But in the books, they do portray him as gay in the in the novels. He's he's the one who who ends up be, uh, getting borgified out on the uh, out on the the um, what is it the 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 deflector dish with, with Picard. You know, he was basically the the sacrificial yeah. red shirt. I can't believe that I'm going to be the one to correct you on this, Jonathan, but don't you mean assimilated? What did I say? 
Borgified. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Anyway, um, yeah, apparently at some point, somehow he was de-assimilated at some point, and he uh, is shown in a stable uh, gay relationship with a, with an unjoined trill in the books, um, which were written by the writer, God, what was his name? Um, but anyway, a, a, a gay, a gay Star Trek book writer, uh, would write him quite a bit as, as gay. And, uh, they even eventually become the godparents of Naomi Wildman. That's a, that's an interesting point you bring up because even though they're not willing to show very much of it on TV, they'll write about it in the books because right. they, they don't actually see it. They, it's all, Oh, that's because, you know, that's because, you know? that's because the people pocket books are probably a little more open. Also, it, a lot less people read the books than see the show. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Um, but that so, seems to be happen with that happens with almost any media though. Uh, yeah. written written prose about something tends to be a lot less um what's the word I'm looking for? It's people don't go out of their way to mock and degrade something for being in a book than they do when it's on screen, I find. Right, right. And then uh, there, there was also um, a DS9 episode uh, where, where, uh, where Quark has to become a woman, and he's actually literally changed into a woman. Like he has the surgery that every trans person just would like dream of, and he can, and it's like super simple and can change back. And apparently everything was changed because it was implied that the possibility of sex was there. Mm. So, do they handle that well, or do they handle that as a joke? They, well, because the, the sci-fi shows have a bad tendency to do like one of two things that are very backwards, like change uh, one person from one gender to another as a joke, or like be make a, a female character pregnant for no reason. Well, which mm-hmm. happened well, on that show at least twice that I remember. Well, in in this particular case, obviously the Frangie are already comic relief. Mm-hmm. Um, I it, I honestly I think it was more of mindless fun cross dressing than anything else. So so not not a particularly yeah. like thought provoking handling of transgendered issues. Yeah. Oh. there there was another episode that that was Prophet and Lace. The other episode though was Rules of Acquisition, where there was a female Frangie named Pell who was pretending to be a man. And Quark is attracted to him and kind of questioning his sexuality. Ah, the Mulan fun. principle. Yeah, yeah. So there was that one too. So um, I think out of all of the series, um, then the few episodes that have uh, uh, attempted to tackle um, transgender issues, I think the Outcasts handled it the best. Because I mean, there's there's examples throughout the episode. I mean, early on when Soren is mm-hmm. On uh, the Enterprise, uh, she uh, she attends a poker game, and Worf is there, and Worf mm. says that he's bothered by the Jedi because they're genderless, and he's very Klingon. Mm-hmm. Um, but later on, towards the end of the episode, when uh, the talks with the leader of the Jedi fail, um, and you know Picard can't do anything. Riker, he, he advises Riker, do not go to attempt anything because you'll be breaking the Prime Directive and you might lose your career. And Riker says, fuck it. And him and Worf, who by that time has overcome his 
prejudices against the fact that, you know, the Janai don't have gender. It's, it's Riker and Wolf that storm the medical facility. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's too late when they get Soren out. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and, and of course, we know there's, there's, there's only one place where actual, genuine, open, gay activity has ever occurred, and that's the Mirror Universe. Ha! Yeah, where, you don't yeah. have to explain that one to me. Uh, it, there's the there's a mirror universe, which is basically like um, everyone from our universe is in it, but everything is 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 backwards. The the Federation is the Terran Empire, and they're evil. And it was originally in the original series, and they picked it up and did several episodes in Deep Space Nine. Um, they also so basically, did it in the Next Generation. No, they didn't do it in the Next Generation, except in a book, but not in the actual series. And they they did do it in Enterprise, two a two episode thing in the Enterprise, kind of a prequel. Um, but in in it, uh, by the time of DS9, the Terran Empire had been overthrown, and the Klingon and Cardassians had formed a union that ruled over over Earth, and humans were considered like slaves and such, and. Um, the Bajorans were also very prominent, and Kira in the Mirror Universe was Superintendent Kira. She was in charge of Deep Space Nine, and she was batshit crazy and bisexual. Okay, then. And and she even and she had a very very intimate relationship with uh, Esri uh, quite a bit, and Lita. I think maybe at the same time. Hmm. So, so I mean, but, that, that that's how we stand with Star Trek and uh, sort of LGBT issues. Do they do they ever did well, like Let's talk more about like other social progression that they did. Okay. Well, well um, um, go ahead. On the subject of race, they were Star Trek was, if I'm not mistaken, one of, if not the first, for the first uh, interracial kiss. Yes. 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 Oh, yes. that was the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, yes. I, I remember originally, um, William uh, Leonard Nimoy was supposed to be the one who kissed Ahura, and then uh, <laughs> William Shatner got a hold of that, and he's he's like, "There's no way in hell someone's having this piece of history before I do it." Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember they. I, I I heard an interview with Nichelle Nichols about it like you know it was very recent one and, and they asked her what she thought about it, and she's like well i had to kiss bill <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it, um just having uhura on the show was incredibly mm-hmm. uh empowering for i mean it, whoopi goldberg yes. said something about it um, oh, that's why she became an actress yes yeah um yeah uh, uh, uh nichelle nichols has said that I uh, told the story quite a few times that uh, she was thinking of quitting uh, after the first season, I think, because she uh, didn't like the fact that she was basically there to say hailing frequencies open and show off her legs. Mm-hmm. And she was at a party and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was there and she told him she was going to quit. And he said, no, no, you can't quit. <laughs> and she didn't. Yeah, I remember yes. that. Uh, speaking of, um, uh, uh, Dr. King, one of the only, only TV shows he actually allowed his children to watch was Star Trek, because Nichelle Nichols was a main cast member. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, that's what, uh, that's what Whoopi Goldberg basically said, was that she <laughs> ran and got her mother, 
and she's like, not a maid. <laughs> like, there's a black woman on TV, and she's not no maid. Like that was that was that was a huge thing for her. Um, yeah, that's why she got a part on on the Next Generation because yeah. she called up called up uh, Gene Roddenberry and said she wanted to be on it. And yeah, or actually, I think it was because she was friends with Lavar Burton. That's why she was friends with Lavar Burton, and Lavar she told Lavar Burton she wants to be on the show. And he didn't think she was serious, so she didn't tell um, Gene Roddenberry until he, she was like, so what's when can I be on Star Trek? And he's like, oh, you're serious. So they went, they both went together to see John Roddenberry. Okay. That's when he was like, oh, you're serious. Well, we've got this amazing part we're thinking of. We want you to play it. Yes, and Guinan was amazing. Guinan oh was God. one of my favorite characters. Yeah, and then... I'd like to also talk a little bit about um, something that, you know, the, the 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 fact that the Federation is supposed to be a utopia, but when you kind of look at it a little more deeply, I, I just don't see how it would actually work. I, I have a friend a friend from Germany who told me, in his opinion, the Federation is just America in, in space, and it's not, you know, something well, that he really likes. I think the presence of the Vulcan, the presence of the Vulcans, is is really a crucial factor there. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking as the only non-American on the show right now. Mm-hmm. I'm actually kind of gonna have to agree with him there. Mm-hmm. It is very, I mean, from what I read and what I see mm-hmm. about American government and American politics. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of this, a lot of similarities there between them and between the Federation and America versus any other place that I've looked at. And what, and what, what makes that kind of odd is from, you know, the, the Federation obviously grew out of the earth. You know, if you watched any, any, or even a little bit of enterprise, they, they delve into it a bit of the founding of the Federation and it came out of a uh, a union formed between the uh, the humans, the uh, Vulcans, the Andorians, and the Tellarites. Yeah. And the fact that the fact that it seems like humans just like are in charge of the Federation for the most part, let alone Americans, just seems absurd in a lot of ways. It, well, yeah, because it's, yeah, everything is basically centered in America, and it's always just seems, looking at it, that mm-hmm. all the higher-ups seem to be American. Yeah, yeah, I mean, occasionally, I mean, sometimes it's hard to tell, like, like Uhura, even though she had an American accent, she was actually from Africa. Well, um, I mean, uh, to be honest, though, if they actually did present a completely completed mm-hmm. utopia to me... I mm-hmm. utopias tend to not be as wonderful as we think they are. No. I mean, just the fact that we're questioning the Federation and we're mm-hmm. sort of like poking and prodding at it means that it's probably not as great as utopia the word merits. Is is somebody have an ice cream truck outside their house? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Anyway, what were we talking about? I don't even remember. <laughs> we oh, we were talking about we were talking about utopia, and you were kind of going on about how, uh, how since we're kind of questioning 
the Federation's utopia, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I mean, just just from reading like Thomas More's Utopia, you know that like mm. utopias are usually horrifying places because people are not meant to get along all the time. They are supposed to have differences of opinions, and they're not meant to be kept in one place in one time. So anytime something presents itself as a perfect utopia, there's probably something wrong with it. Right, and and then there was the speech... Oh, I'm sorry. If I might interject, um, Jonathan, you touched upon the fact that uh, Uhura had been born in Africa, and that right. her, her first language was Swahili. But also, um, it's canon that Jordi LaForge was born in the African Confederation, which by the 2300s was basically all of the countries that used to make up Africa. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, that was also what, uh, what Uhura was. Yeah. Right. And then, um, there, there, but there in the episode, I believe it was, it was, uh, called for the cause. Uh, there, Mike, the, the, uh, character of Michael Eddington, who, mm-hmm. uh, give, who turns out he was a Maquis undercover. And he gives a soliloquy to Cisco, and I, I I'd like to I'd like to just read it because I think it's kind of pertinent to what we're discussing. He says to Cisco, "I know you. I was like you once, but then I opened my eyes. Open your eyes, Captain. Why is the Federation so obsessed with the Maquis? We've never harmed you, and yet you've we've, and yet we're constantly arrested and charged with terrorism. Starships chase us through the Badlands." And our supporters... Wait, is this the right... Oh, yeah, this is the right one. Okay. Uh, starships chase us through the Badlands, and our supporters are harassed and ridiculed. Why? Because we left the Federation. And that's the one thing you cannot accept. Nobody leaves Paradise. Everyone should want to be in the Federation. Hell, you even want the Cardassians to join. You're only sending them replicators because one day they can take their rightful place on the Federation Council. You know, in some ways, you're even worse than the Borg. At least they tell you about their plans for assimilation. At least they tell you about their plans for assimilation. You're more insidious. You assimilate people, and they don't even know it. Yeah, I think that that's a very telling thing. I think that the um, I think the creators of Star Trek were very aware after a certain point that mm-hmm. you know. Not not everything comes out smelling like roses when you have a big governmental body. Yeah, and that could explain kind of the human, the human being in charge because you know it's not equal. Humans are in charge, mm-hmm. you know, despite what everyone else wants. And I, who was it? That, which one of you said something about the uh, the Vulcans? Oh, I said something about the Vulcans. Was that, you know. <sighs> There are certain things about them like that. Mm-hmm. You do get like the idea that they sort of resent humans, especially mm-hmm. with Spock, and then like nothing ever really comes of that. So well, it's just, it just sort of goes into like my the feeling that the humans are mm-hmm. sort of like shouldering all the other races aside and just being like, well, uh, we're going to lead the way <laughs> towards the utopia. Well, I, I, have you really watched much of Enterprise? I haven't watched any of Enterprise. I've okay. watched uh, most of the original series, mm-hmm. um, all of Next Generation, mm-hmm. and most of Voyager. Yeah, well, 
it, in, in, in Enterprise, even though it wasn't the best series, they do actually touch on that. In in that case, the the Vulcans, it, it takes place before the Federation is founded. Uh, and the the Vulcans in, in, in First Contact, the Vulcans made First Contact with us. And then now it's 100 years later, and the Vulcans are very hesitant to let humans kind of go out in, into deep space. You know, they, they wouldn't give them the key to warp and to warp drive. They, the whole, the whole idea of the prime directive comes from the Vulcans. Mm-hmm. So the Vulcans kind of keep the uh, humans down as it were. And they have to, you know, under, under Vulcan supervision, they develop warp drive, you know, faster, you know, or slow or whatever. And the Vulcans really are hesitant to let humans kind of out into the wider galactic community. And that's what enterprise is. It's the first, warp five vessel which is which is uh before then i think they could only go like warp one or warp two mm-hmm. and which isn't very fast uh well, that was the whole and, point of first contact was developing warp one yeah. engine yeah and and so so they 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 it's the first warp five vessel and they're out in the space but that the the first the was what was her name to i think yes um yeah Long- she was yeah. yeah she was put on there kind of even though she was technically a science advisor she was really put put there to kind of make sure the humans were doing what they were supposed to be doing and not you know screwing things up mm-hmm. was really at least in the beginning that was her job although she became much more sympathetic to humans as time went on so in fact at some point the vulcans start accusing her of kind of being you know infected by them well that's that's another really interesting point because um you know, Spock has that on several times too, where he's supposedly infected by human emotion. Well, but uh, he is half human. She he is, is half human, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it's a running theme of mm-hmm. how do you keep your own culture separate from the culture that you live in daily? Right, uh, right. And and is it such a bad thing to begin to appropriate other people's culture? I have a, I have a, mm-hmm. I have a good point about that. Um, Remember okay. the character? Um, what's her name? Uh, the uh, it's in Voyager. Um, mm-hmm. Crap! What's her name? The the half Bajoran uh, uh, character. Uh, Ashley. No, not what? Or no, it was um, <laughs> the half Bajoran. You mean the half Klingon? Oh yes, yes. You mean Belana? Yeah, Belana. That's it. Belana. Yeah. Okay, I was trying to make sure. It, it was really interesting because she grew up in. A human society, mm-hmm. and was taught everything human, and just kind of wasn't really, you know, embracing that side of her. And, right. And as time went on in the series, uh, she started. She, I think, at one point, a she did have to revisit that part of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 I thought that was because. Yeah, and it, it's like they try to address that issue of cultural appropriation, like. You know how do you how do you deal with being part of two cultures at once? Mm-hmm. Um, well, have you ever noticed whenever there's a main character who's an alien, um, there's a really good chance that that character is actually going to not be a typical whatever. You know, she's not a typical uh, Klingon or a typical human. Worf was not a typical Klingon. Um, uh, Spock was not a typical Vulcan. Um, you know, so it, I think it's just the trope of the protagonist. Yeah. That um, 
Well, I mean, you could look at it several ways. You could look at it like as just a trope of storytelling that these are exceptional people in exceptional circumstances. Mm-hmm. Or you could look at it that these people were given these mm-hmm. very important missions that they're on because uh-huh. they are exceptional people. Right. I think the other thing is there are characters that do stick to their guns and do stick to their culture, mm-hmm. but are still willing to say, look, you know, I'm I'm willing to... You know, I'm willing to learn. I well, think, I think Tuvok, like Tyler said, I think Tuvok yeah. is a good example of that. Yeah, he's because, a very typical Vulcan. Because he's a typical, he's a typical Vulcan. Uh, I think Neelix mm-hmm. is another example. He is, uh, he does, but see, he's more, he's more like open-minded about everything. So he's kind of like. We don't really know much about Neelix in he, the rest of his. They yeah, don't really talk it, about his culture a whole lot. Yeah, we don't see a lot of Talaxians, so. It, I mean, I can't really it's hard say. to say. That, yeah, I've seen there have been a few, but they they didn't tend to be as jovial as he is. Yeah. But that just might be him, you know. It, it, just because he's one way doesn't mean everyone in his culture is that way. But then you could go to, you could also go to Jadzia. Jadzia was a pretty typical join trill. Yeah. But then, but then when they brought in Ezri, Ezri was not a typical join trill. She was she was a mess. Um, I find it interesting because when you look at the when you look at um say, the next generation and Voyager. Yeah. Uh, whereas the next generation, it existed in society, it existed, you know, you had communication with government, communication with, you had all that going on. Voyager was pretty much them by themselves. It was, uh, you know, they were in the ship, they had to deal with their own internal yeah. conflicts. And it wasn't, the, wasn't that the whole point was that they were... Yeah, they went through a, a wormhole and they were completely cut off from the rest yeah, of the Federation. Yeah, they were Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They had yeah. no no idea what was going on. They had to try to survive mm-hmm. on their own, and so right. they, I think they had to address a lot of those cultural differences, a lot of those cultural, yeah. um, you know, things. And I don't know. I thought that was yeah. very. That's why I like Voyager so much because although I thought uh, Voy- Voyager, Voyager. could have pushed. I thought Voyager could have pushed the envelope more, though. I, I thought too. it was a little too cushy. You know, I think they should have been out there more. You know, chal- you know, being challenged. You know, well, I-, I felt like that episode, that episode with the Equinox, was more of what should have happened to Voyager. Uh, I'm too in love with uh, Captain Janeway. What were we gonna say, Ross? Um, speaking of Voyager and going back to the character of Belana Torres. Yep. I mean, yeah, she was half human and half Klingon. And it's not, I don't remember in any mm-hmm. ep- which episodes it may be directly mentioned because she mm-hmm. mentions it uh, in a number of episodes. She was born in a Federation colony at a time when relations between the Federation and the Klingon Empire were very strained. And it's mm-hmm. part of the reason why she thought and acted the way she did for quite a long time is her father was human, her mother was Klingon, and she got a lot of shit growing up. Now, 30 yeah. years on from the original series, it's still touching on, you know, some very Racial important issues. subjects yeah. of race. Yeah, like, well, she's, yeah. you know... And I, I think that that also plays on, you know, the whole cultural assimilation, assimilation thing. Like, I know a lot of, like, people who say they're Hispanic, but they've, you know, they're like you know, fourth generation or fifth generation, they don't speak Spanish, you know, they barely know their culture, and, and I think sometimes, you know, they feel that way, or, or black people, or even Jewish people, I know a lot of Jewish people that are like that, you know, they don't know their own culture. Because they've mean, been Irish people, it's the same yeah. way, yeah. like, look yeah. at St. Patrick's it's, Day. Um, funny that you mentioned that, remember, um, 
you know how, like, the U.S., we kind of just kind of shoved, like, Native American culture to the side. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of, like, one of the things that we have done as civilization has progressed and developed. I think that uh, Ch- Captain Chakotay from mm-hmm. from Voyager, you know, he was very back to his roots. Like, I yeah. think he was always wanted to go back to his culture and try to use that as... Although I felt it was kind of stereotyped, like it was. I, I don't know. I I didn't like. He was. I remember he wasn't very happy about that portrayal. The actor, mm-hmm. Robert Beltran. Um, as I don't. I think he was. He's Mexican. He he's not necessarily native himself, or he might be part native or something. But mm-hmm. I know he's supposed to be a South American tribe. But they had you know, they had like the weird Vision Quest device. Yeah. And and it was it was really weird, but. Another thing I'd like to kind of touch on a little bit, you know, it kind of goes in the hand with sexuality, but gender and gender roles, because there's an episode of the original series where where they specifically say that women are not allowed to be captains. Mm, It it was the actually the final episode, Turnabout Intruder, where Dr. Janice Lester creates a device to switch her brain with Kirk's because she had hit like some Starfleet glass ceiling and wanted to be a captain. And that was right around the time of equal pay for equal work. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of interesting, you know. And, and then, in fact, there was there was not a single f- female captain in the entire original series, and not many in Next Generation either. And, and then Captain Janeway. What, Tyler? I said exactly. Just fast forward to Voyager, and the main the main character, per, you could say, mm-hmm. the main captain is a female. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My life, my love, and my lady. Yes, yes. Her and her coffee. Yeah, mm-hmm. God, yeah. Yeah, um, that was kind of like, uh, she was kind of the, the anti-Picard in a lot of ways. <laughs> yes. Um, She was Picard without the romantic education. Yeah. Uh, Kirk would still be the anti-Picard. That's true, that's true. Yeah. She was just as intelligent as... Picard, right, right, right. I mean, personality-wise, like in a, a lot thousand of times more practical and pragmatic. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I said, like Picard took a bullet just to prove he wasn't a god. Yeah. Um, Janeway would just. Janeway is a lot more pragmatic. Yeah, she, she was she, more down to earth. Down to earth, yeah. Yeah. What were you gonna say, Ross? Um, I don't think I was gonna. Say. Oh, I thought I heard. Whoa. Um. Well, that was weird. Sorry, my cell phone went off. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? Uh, I okay, yeah. Um, why do you think that they changed it from? I mean, not not to say that we shouldn't have a female captain or anything, but why did they change it from, say, Next Generation to Voyager? Like, what do you think? Do they want to address that issue, or? Do you think it's just oh we just like the character and uh, yeah. that's why we picked her why we picked you know for Captain Janeway to well, be this sort of main character? I I, I know that the, when they were developing it they wanted a female captain but they they had written in such a way that it could have been a man if they couldn't find the right woman to do it um, and they had originally uh, they had originally uh, cast. A woman named Genevieve Bujold, who is a Canadian actress, French Canadian yes, actress. I heard about that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and and actually, you can on YouTube you can see the scenes that she did. There's actually a very interesting um, comparison between her doing the scenes and Janeway doing the scenes. And Genevieve Bujold is is a is is a film actress mainly, and she 
did these very kind of intimate, quiet performances and it just wasn't working. And she ended up quitting because she didn't realize what a tough schedule television required. Oh yeah. And, and then they brought in Kate Mulgrew and, and they realized that she should have been the actress from the beginning because she just chewed the scenes. Yeah. She just relished it. She, she just, yeah. Well, that's that's why I would like to see another uh, Star Trek series because I would really like to see another, not mm-hmm. even just another female captain, but maybe like uh, the first non-human captain. Yeah, it would, it would be nice to see that. Like, like taken. There were there were like in select episodes. I'm pretty sure there were non-human captains. Were there not? Yeah, there there was an episode of I remember there was an episode of Deep Space Nine. Where there is a Vulcan captain who, who uh, Starfleet captain that uh, Cisco has a rivalry with, and but it also turned out that he was a captain of an all Vulcan ship, which is kind of odd. But apparently there are segregated ships. In Wasn't Starfleet. Worf a captain at one point? Um, n- he never became. Well, he was in charge of. He wasn't a captain, but he was basically the commanding officer. When Cisco wasn't around, of the Defiant. If Cisco wasn't there, he was the default commanding officer of the Defiant. Okay. Um, and in 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 uh, First Contact, he's has it out and is fighting, and that's how he ends up back on the Enterprise. Remember, and, and Riker says, "Tough little ship," and he growls, "Little." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but that was one of the the things they were talking about, maybe doing. Uh, Captain a Captain Worf sh- uh, show, which I think would be great because I love Michael Dorn. I think he's a great actor. It would give him a chance to act without being thrown into like everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's beat up on Worf episode again. Beat up on Worf episode yeah. would be like more like it was more like a beat up on Worf. What what I would like occurrence. what I would love to see is I would love to see Netflix or some other streaming service do a Star Trek episode and like. And maybe do it more where they do some little one season kind of vine- you know like mini series where they investigate different aspects of, of 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 the universe like maybe one that takes place in a civilian colony or one that's all about Klingons or one that's all about Romulans mm-hmm. or one that's all about you know Ferengi and just kind of explore kind of like they're kind of like they're doing with the Star Wars universe or the DC universe where they're exploring these different little pocket or not the DC but the Marvel universe. We're exploring different little pockets of it. I think that would be a really good idea because there's so much left to the Star Trek Star Trek universe mm-hmm. that no one really knows unless they play uh, Star Trek Online, read the books, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and all that other stuff. I think it would be nice to take here. some of those books and put the and kind of put them into a series or yeah. you know would, even yeah. that. I would love to see them focus on more on civilian life. We really haven't seen much about what civilian life is like in the Federation. Like, I mean, they've explored it in the books. Like in the books, you know, unlike unlike being on a Starfleet ship, you know, not everyone like has a transporter in their in their home. You have to go to like a transit center, and and there's like a daily commuter transport, you know, lines waiting to to do your daily commute on the transporter. You know, so things think, like that. You know, that you don't think about. It comes to question, like, why didn't they do that originally? Like, why was it just not interesting enough for people, or did well, they just want to get to the action? You well, know? it was because it was because of um, Gene. Well, number one, Gene Roddenberry 
was in what was a, a World War II pilot, so he knew how the military works. He was in the Navy. That's why Starfleet is basically the Navy in space. Um, so he 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 kind of he kind of created it to be, and it was the best way. Yeah, and it was the best way to kind of get around, you know, to to explore things. You know, they they were supposed to be exploration, not really military as much, but they kind of became more military as needed. So. We were talking about like race and like mm-hmm. society and everything. What about economics? Like, you know, oh, talk, I think that's a, I think that's something we can talk about because, you know, the whole um, with the utopia is they didn't have a said currency mm-hmm. system, and but, but they, they still just, they still talked about having credits and what and what did what did Federation employees do for money to gamble at Quarks and to buy drinks at Quarks. So they yeah. must have had money of some sort, or something, you know, something of value. I mean, what, the best explanation I ever heard of economics in Star Trek was the fact that that everyone had a base level of of certain things that 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 you were guaranteed as a citizen. You're guaranteed a place to live. You're guaranteed food, so a replicator. You know, you're guaranteed medical treatment. You know, uh, you're guaranteed all these ver- these basic. You know, if you go, what what is it called? The the <laughs> pyramid of needs. Um, the hierarchy of needs. The yeah. hierarchy of needs. You kind of get everything that's on the bottom level or two. If you want anything above that, then yeah, you have to get a job and 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 make money. So uh, that yeah. that's how I've heard it, it put. Yeah, I'm I'm not particularly remembering any episode where they desperately like tried to make. The yeah. economy of that world um, of, of the Federation. Yeah, yeah, try to make it obvious, but I yeah. could be missing something. No, that that wasn't that wasn't in that. That's more like kind of how they've explained it in the books mm. and things like that. So they they've gone more in depth in the books and things like that. So again, we need them to adapt some of the books. So much yes. more Yeah. Yeah. Now, now you think about like the bartering system because mm-hmm. that's something I do think that they that Star Trek does touch on a lot, um, especially with like outposts and stations and and you know they have a lot of trading and a lot of stuff. That, like well, that this. was a, a major part of Voyager. Yes, <laughs> and that was I felt, you know, they still had to have some sort of base value, and I think that just goes mm-hmm. back to like, you know. I mean, why why do they need a system, and why don't they need a system? Well, yeah, if you if you have a replicator that can make just about anything that you need, yeah, why the you value need of everything except things that can't be replicated just bottoms out. Yeah, yeah exactly. But the like the stuff is... that they use to make stuff in the replicator, you know, like the, the lithium crystals and you know yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, and 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 they they mention that there's like kind of a base material that every that everything in the replicator is made out of. It's basically transporter technology where they dematerialize the base matter and rematerialize it as whatever the program is. It's probably trash and human waste. And oh, stuff. I'm sure it is. Of course. <laughs> That's not something I want to think about. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like they're in space. What's the best way to dispose of both yeah. biological waste and uh, 
you know, food scraps and trash. Yeah, of course. The recycling. Why, why do you think they? Why? Why do you think when they're done eating, they put they put the put it back in the in the in the replicator and it disappears? I actually never thought of that. Yeah. And that was that's actually kind of interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but that's I mean, that's why that's why they mentioned um, gold pressed latinum or the latinum itself, which is a liquid um, inside of a gold golden case. Basically, is not replicatable for whatever reason. It's too complicated of a structure. And that is all the time we have for this week on Bear Pile. I want to thank everybody for being here with me. Thank you, as always, to the lovely Jonathan Moore. You're welcome, and if anyone wants to uh, follow me on the Twitter sphere, I'm at N-E-R-D-K-U-B, that's NerdCub with a K. Alright, thank you very much, and I want to thank our guests for being here with us. Thank you very much, Tyler. Uh, My pleasure. I don't quite have much to uh, plug, but uh, if you are actually listening to this podcast, um, it is a Geeky Bear podcast. Uh, if you're not actually part of the Geeky Bear group and you found this somehow rummaging through iTunes, stop by at Facebook and give us a check. We're uh, Geeky Bears. Yes, indeed. Yes. You can also find it at geekybears.com, where we have all sorts of crazy stuff up there that will lead you to the right path. And I want to thank Ross. Thank you very much for being here with us today. You're very welcome, Eddie. And William, thank you very much for joining us here tonight, William. Oh, it was my pleasure. And as always, you can find me and my stuff uh, either at badmoonband.tumblr.com, or you can follow me at Twitter at both YetiBear, Y-E-T-T-I-B-E-A-R, or BadMoonBand at Twitter. And those are basically the only things I'm doing at the moment. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of other projects. I'm working on my horror story, that is the Band Moon Band. Yeah, and uh, hopefully soon I'll be getting my uh, romance series off the ground. So that'll be my, my, my short story gay romance series called Tales from Bountain University. So oh, wow. So be fun. Um, so uh, you can also find us on QCast. Jonathan, why don't you tell them more about QCast? Uh, it's uh, QCastRadio.com. You can find... Uh, bear pile there as well as uh, several other podcasts including uh another one that i'm on uh, bears in the kitchen podcast uh which is all about uh food and bears as well as uh pod cubs podcast which i'm not a part of but is just kind of a general interest uh, bear uh discussion podcast uh in fact it's kind of turning into bearcast radio but uh it is qcastradio.com Excellent. And if you did find us on iTunes, we kind of want to ask that you give us, you know, a rating, a comment. Let us know how we can improve. Just give us something to go off of. Let us know that you're listening. Five stars. Yeah, seriously. Uh, And we would also like to thank our lovely, lovely editor, Shane Abbott, who is wonderful at mixing things. So if you have uh, something that you're looking to get him to edit professionally, uh, just let me, just basically shoot me an instant message on Facebook, and I'll I'll get you in touch with him. So uh, yes. I think that's the end for all of our plugging. We had a lot this week. So um, until next time, 
we will have something equally geeky and berry to talk about. But until then, bye bye, bears. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.